You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. chapter one uh, here tonight. Several weeks ago, we had taken a look at, uh, as we studied through this, again, uh, Galatians was written to combat the false gospel, uh, anything that would take away from the true gospel and detract from that. Paul was adamant against this. Uh, of all Paul's letters that he wrote, he usually gave one word of commendation to the churches. Hey, you're doing a good job in this area, but let's take a step up. No word of commendation given in Galatians goes straight for uh, the rebuke in this particular uh, uh, passage of scripture, this particular was written to a group of churches at Galatia as opposed to one individual church. Uh, and so uh, as he writes, he writes to combat the false gospel. Uh, and we took a look at uh, earlier this year uh, a couple of different types of false gospels, the false gospel of works, false gospel of prosperity, uh, false gospel of social justice. Uh, and then we, we moved on. Uh, and then I was, uh, I was in a, a church service uh, recently when I was in Malaysia and was confronted with another false gospel that's out there that's, that doesn't appear on the surface to be as dangerous but can be as dangerous. That's what we're taking a look at tonight, the false gospel of easy believism. Uh, now, again, uh, we're going to unpack that and find out exactly what that means uh, and things along those lines here tonight, uh, but we need to be very, very careful uh, that we don't fall into the trap of easy believism. Most of us would look at this and we could say, absolutely not to a gospel of works, absolutely not to a gospel of prosperity, absolutely not to a gospel of social justice. But sometimes we can be, um, I would say, attracted to a gospel of easy believism. And again, we'll take a look at exactly what that means uh, in this passage here tonight. Galatians chapter uh, 1, uh, verse number 6. Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that it called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preaching the other gospel unto you, then that we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He said before, so I now say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. The gospel's a big deal, period. Uh, every time you come to who we call a Baptist church, every single Sunday, we will talk about the gospel because it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It is what saves us. It is what keeps us in a right relationship with God. And it's the only hope for an unsaved world that we live in. Uh, again, it's important that we understand the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the sins of mankind. That's what the gospel is in a nutshell. I'm really pumped up about this coming up on May the 18th. Uh, we have a special class here called uh, Sharing Jesus. Uh, before we did it as a one hour on Sunday mornings before at 8.30 uh, for six weeks in a row, uh, and, and it was very, very helpful, uh, I believe, for our church family. A lot of people were able to dig in deeper and be able to understand their faith better and how to share it. Uh, this time we're doing it on a Saturday, uh, kind of a one-day seminar from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, I want to encourage you to be a part that uh, if you say, hey, I'm really comfortable sharing my faith, we can always get better at sharing our faith. And so I want to encourage you to, to sign up for that. Uh, there's no cost at all. We're going to give you some resources. Uh, and it, it actually is an investment in our church into your life to be able to help you to share your faith. One of the things that I'm super pumped about uh, in this uh, version of Sharing Jesus that we have 
is that it's not just going to be a class for adults in here while we have child care and show a, a movie uh, over there. Uh, we're actually going to have a children's evangelism class to teach kids how to share the gospel with their, their schoolmates, with their friends, uh, with a neighbor kid, uh, things along those lines. I remember um, as when we lived in California, seeing Thatcher, he was probably, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, riding a skateboard up and down the, uh, the sidewalk, and I see him sitting with a couple of kids on the sidewalk sharing the gospel with a couple of kids in the neighborhood. Uh, and I thought to myself, that is what fires up every single parent's heart right there, uh, to, to see your child taking biblical truth and sharing it with another person. And I want us to our kids to be able to, to do that. And so uh, Miss Buffy's got a lot of great uh, stuff planned for that. We got some tools and some crafts and stuff like that that they're going to uh, use to teach these kids how to share the gospel. For kids ages uh, first through uh, fifth grade, I believe it is. Uh, and then uh, kids uh, birth through kindergarten, we'll have a uh, child care for them uh, available. I think this is so important that we're going to carve out an entire Saturday uh, to spend time helping people, equip them to share their faith with other people, to help them to know the gospel and ways to share the gospel and ways to, um, to really kind of further the cause of Christ. I believe it's incredibly important. If you're interested in that, sign up for it, no cost. Uh, but it's going to be a great time together. That's May the 18th, I believe it is, a Saturday uh, that we're going to do that. I think all of us can learn to share our faith better. The gospel, uh, again, in a nutshell, Jesus died in place of sinners. I deserve to die, but Jesus died for my sins. We took a look at that several weeks ago and the fact that uh, Jesus stood in our place and he turned away God's wrath and he took my sin from me, propitiation, expiation. I hope as we went through those uh, notes a few weeks ago that as we've uh, sung songs, we've talked about biblical truths, we can pick out redemption and reconciliation and, and expiation and propitiation and, and, and when we hear those types of terms and what they mean. One author put it this way, that the gospel is God is holy, man is not. God has expectations, man has broken those expectations, and we're in danger of God's judgment. Jesus came to take our place and to die in our place, but we must respond to the gospel. Uh, we'll either respond by accepting Christ as Savior or rejecting him and doing it our own way. But everyone must respond to the gospel in one way or another. As we look at the idea of easy believism, we must understand that true salvation requires more than intellectual assent. This is important because some people believe, if I just believe that there is a God, if I just believe that Jesus died for my sins, then I am saved. That is not enough to save one. I've heard folks say before, well, do you believe that that?" And do you believe in God? I do. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? I do. Well, then you're a Christian. Up, oh, time out there. This would definitely fall under the category of easy believism. It's not mere intellectual assent. The Bible says that the devils believe in God and tremble. It's not enough to just believe in my mind that Christ exists or that Christ died for mankind. Two requirements for salvation. Now, I want to pause for just a second and say uh, that I'm not an advocate of making it difficult for one to get saved. Uh, people hear the term easy believism and think, well, isn't salvation easy? Salvation is so simple, a child can understand it. But we need to understand and be able to unpack and explain to people exactly what salvation means. Two requirements for salvation. First of all, faith. And again, this is not just a mere intellectual ascent, a belief that God exists. Even John 3, 16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not a mere belief that he exists. That would, if it were just a belief that Jesus Christ existed, Nicodemus wouldn't need to believe on Jesus Christ. He could see him with his own eyes. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we must have faith. Again, even uh, Romans chapter 10, if I believe in my heart and confess from my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm exhibiting my faith at that point. So one cannot be saved without faith. This is abundantly clear throughout all of Scripture. You must have faith. It's not enough to just believe that God exists. Now, I'll usually start my gospel presentation with that. Do you believe that God exists? And some people say no, then we have to back up a little bit and say, well, God doesn't believe in you. You're an atheist. God doesn't believe that atheists exist. Romans chapter one, he says he's revealed himself into all people so that they're without excuse. So we first of all must have faith, a belief that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is, a faith that I need a savior more than of what I can do for myself. But the second requirement for salvation is repentance. Now, again, we need to define terms here as far as what repentance actually means. Repentance is a change of mind, which results in a change in heart, which results in a change in my life. The word repentance literally means to change directions. Now, we need to be careful with this because some people would say that repentance is only truly exhibited in a changed life which means we'll never really know if you were saved or not until we can actually inspect your fruit later to make sure you really repented. Uh, I don't think that's the idea behind this. I believe that true salvation will uh, result in a changed life. It might not be as quickly as what we would want to see sometimes, but I truly believe that a true salvation will result in a changed life. But the repentance here is a change of mind which results in a change of heart. Acts chapter 20, verse number 21, Paul says, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in Acts 20, 21, if you want to write that down in your notes there, talks about faith towards God and repentance towards Jesus Christ. Puts those two together in the exact same verse. You see, I cannot continue the same way that I am going and truly repent. I cannot continue to live for myself and live in my sin and repent at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Salvation is not a get out of hell free card for us. Again, easy believism would say, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, I don't know of anybody that truly wants to go to hell. Well, if you don't, then you need to pray this prayer so that you can go to heaven. That would definitely fall into the category of easy believism. Hey, you don't want to go to hell, so just say these words. That's problematic on a couple of different levels. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering into you that we had, how you turned, from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, you turned from idols to God. When you were saved, you turn from your sin to God and you say, I'm done with my sin. I want God instead. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. That's another misconception when it comes to true salvation. True salvation doesn't mean that I will be sinless. Sanctification does mean that I will sin less. But we need to be careful that we don't confuse salvation and sanctification and make them one and the same. That's problematic as well. That falls into a category of works-based salvation. Acts chapter three, verse number 19, 
Peter preaches and says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So faith and belief that God has provided a perfect sacrifice in the form of Jesus Christ for my sins and a recognition that I cannot continue in my sin. I need a Savior. That's faith and repentance together. That's what provides true salvation. Now again, uh, people who uh, would say, well, what's really wrong with easy believism? Do you want to make it difficult for people to get saved? It's not difficult for one to be saved. We're definitely not making a, uh, becoming advocates for making it hard for someone to get saved. We just want to say that if you say, hey, one, two, three, repeat after me to go to heaven, that doesn't qualify as true salvation. You might even say, well, pastor, I've heard you uh, give people the opportunity to pray a prayer at the end of a service, and I have. I did that, did that this morning. Uh, we generally reserve that for big days or opportunities where we wouldn't have an opportunity to catch every single person. Every week, generally what happens is I say, raise your hand if you're not for sure that you're saved. Some week, nobody raises their hand. Some weeks, one person raises their hand. I always make note of that person, and either one of the folks in our church will go to them, or I will personally go to them and say, hey, John, thanks for being here today. I saw you raise your hand. You didn't know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, can I take, have one of our men take you for about 10 minutes and open the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you could be saved? Yeah, absolutely, that'd be great. So we'll sit him down and take him through the gospel. Um, there's a lady today who raised her hand and one of our ladies went and talked to her after the service and said, hey, I saw you raise your hand and said you didn't know for sure you're on your way to heaven. She goes, oh, did I? I think I raised my hand at the wrong time. <laughs> and and that's, that's perfectly understandable. A lot of folks are thinking about lunch and when they're gonna get out of here and they just raise their hand at the wrong time. That's fine. Uh, and so, but we're always try to make a one-to-one -one connection with people. Uh, this morning, uh, if you weren't looking around uh, and you didn't see it, there was probably about a dozen people in the room that raised their hand. I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get the opportunity to get to every one of them. And so at the end, I just went through the gospel again and explained the penalty of your sin and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you would be willing today to put your faith in Jesus Christ and turn from your sin, and if you'd be willing to pray a prayer like this from your heart, and again, when I go back and repeat the prayer, I, the words are not important. The important thing is that you truly believe what you're saying. There, there is no abracadabra uh, prayer that we can pray to be saved. So we're not trying to make it difficult for people to get saved. We just want people to know what they're getting into. We want them to know what they're being saved from. We want them to know what they're being saved to. We want to, them to know that they truly must show faith and truly repent of their sin. A child can exhibit faith and repentance. Sometimes parents come to me and say, oh, you know, Johnny's asking questions about salvation. When will they be ready? As if I could uh, pull out a calculator out of the back and say, okay, how many church services a week do you, do you attend? How long have you been in church? And, and uh, my magic calculator says, hi, oh, probably about seven and a half years old would be good for him. Every kid's different. Uh, every single one of our children has been different. Uh, and I think as a parent, we need wisdom and discernment uh, to be able to do that. And again, this is just my personal experience. I don't have any biblical basis for what I'm going to say, so I'm going to tell you up front, this is my opinion. Generally, when children make professions of faith at a very young age, oftentimes by the time they come, become teenagers, they begin to doubt the commitment that they made when they were three or four years old and didn't truly understand uh, the Bible. And so I would just give you that as a word of caution, not to say that a three-year-old or a four-year-old cannot be saved. Uh, I remember Vanderlei at, at two years old, two years old. He 
He knew Bible verses. He knew the Romans road at two years old. He knew all the answers to the questions. If you died, where would you go? I'd go to hell because of my sin. At two years old, he understood the gospel mentally. At two years old, he did not have Holy Spirit conviction in his heart of the depth and the wretchedness of his own sin and the penalty of that. And so he needed till probably, I think he was nine or 10 years old when he accepted Christ as Savior. He needed a little bit of time to think about that and for the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and to truly biblically repent of his sin. And I've hammered him several times, even in the last two or three years. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Are you 100% sure that you're saved? And he has a rock solid uh, conviction that he is biblically saved uh, based on that commitment that he made to, to the Lord. Man, I'm thankful for that. And so I just give you that, parents, as a word of caution. I believe uh, you know your child better than anyone else on the planet, and you need to have the wisdom to be able to guide them into that. But it's not difficult for one to be saved. Even a child can do that. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse number three, and it's, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is where we get the term childlike faith. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, again, it's important to understand that the Bible doesn't advocate for difficult believism. That's not even a thing. And again, I want people to understand when I'm sharing the gospel with them, I'm not trying to get you to be a Baptist. I'm not trying to get you to join our church. I'm not trying to sign you up for a class. I want you to know you're standing before a holy God. I want you to be prepared for the day that you see God face to face in judgment, and that you do it with joy, not with fear. And so the Bible doesn't make it difficult for one to, to be saved. And so sometimes folks who subscribe to more of an easy believers, and they say, well, do you think it should be hard for somebody to get saved? Absolutely not. I just think that the average person needs a little bit more than 45 minutes to, or 45 seconds to grasp the depths of their own sinfulness. Again, uh, I was talking to a friend on the mainland uh, several years ago, and he was a part of a church, and he was actually telling me like it was a really, really good thing. He said, this church uh, that, that I was a part of, man, they had a history uh, going back, I think it was a three-year streak that they had, where every single day somebody got saved for three years. And on the surface, for me, that just seemed a little bit strange. It was a small town in, in the Midwest. That seemed a little bit strange to me. Every single day for three years, we're talking nearly 1,000 people, and trusted Christ as Savior, and this church had 40, 40 or so people in it. That was problematic to me on the surface when I, when I heard that. I said, so seven days a week, people are getting saved. I, yeah, I said, in the church? He goes, no, we actually go out to the community and, and, and invite people to church and tell people about Christ and share the gospel with them. And I thought, man, that's crazy. I'm thinking to myself, that's literally crazy. Now, mind you, uh, I'm not saying that God can't do it, but that's like book of Acts level moving of the Holy Spirit. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. People were saved every single day. That's a mighty move of God. And I just, I just felt strange about it. And I said, well, tell me how that works. Every single day we have a team of people that go out uh, into the community, knock on doors, and try to get people to accept Christ as Savior. And hmm, this, is, this is problematic. Try to get people to, to uh, accept Christ as Savior and pray the prayer. Hmm. That, that right there was, was red flag number one, began to wave. Pray the prayer? Yeah, I mean, so I said, so what happens? Let's just say that they went out and knocked doors and nobody accepts that. No, people aren't home, people are at work, 
um, stuff like that, people on vacation. What happens then? He goes, oh, well, that's where it gets exciting. If by 6 o'clock at night nobody has accepted Christ as Savior, they start calling through the prayer chain and ask people, if you're able to go, you need to go now. If you're not able to go, you need to pray. And we send a team out at 6 o'clock every night, and they start knocking doors until they find somebody who will pray the prayer. Oh, everything inside of me went cold. And I was just like, that is so not the Great Commission. To pray the prayer? I mean, I can make a three-year-old pray the prayer. We're looking for folks that are looking for Jesus. We're not looking for people to pray a prayer. So the Bible doesn't advocate for difficult believism, but we're not trying to get people to pray the prayer either. See, easy easy believism reduces salvation to simply the sinner's prayer. I don't know if they still do, but the... um, I know the Gideons still do. The the Gideons organization is a great organization that uh, puts Bibles uh, everywhere they can put them. They put them in uh, most hotel rooms. You ever find a a Bible in the the drawer of the nightstand that's usually put there by the Gideons International Group? Uh, It's a group of folks who put Bibles everywhere they can. Uh, When I was in boot camp, I don't know if they still do this to this day, but when I was in boot camp 20 plus years ago, uh, they would come and they would offer a New Testament to any of the the sailors that wanted to receive a New Testament while they were in boot camp. And so uh, they handed out Bibles and they're all about the Bible. But once upon a time, the, the printing of the... Gideon's uh, Bible in the back had a page called The Sinner's Prayer. And I get the idea behind it of giving people the opportunity or maybe even the words to be able to repent of their sin and call out to God. But when we boil down the totality of the gospel into a simple prayer, I think we, we oversimplify the gospel. And again, not trying to make it difficult, but we oversimplify it. Uh, that's why if you take a look at our gospel tracts, there's no written prayer to pray there. We have five Bible verses listed there. If somebody wants to uh, put their faith in Christ, they need to understand that they need to ask for forgiveness of their sins and claim the gift of eternal life. Again, not trying to make it difficult, just trying to make it biblical. You see, in the Bible, we find no sinner's prayer. If If it were a thing, it would be found in the Bible somewhere. And so when we say so-and-so prayed the prayer, we don't say so-and-so was born again, so-and-so accepted Christ as Savior, so-and-so became a child of God. Today we say so-and-so prayed the prayer. And simply repeating words that someone else has said or someone else has come up with in itself holds no power. And here's the problem. Where there is no conviction of sin, there can be no repentance of sin. If you ever get uh, some time, you should Google Way of the Master and watch the two videos. Uh, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron uh, have a way that they present the gospel. It's kind of a man-on-the-street interview where you talk to people and share the gospel with them and stuff like that. Uh, and I don't believe that it's the only way to share the gospel. I think it's an interesting way to share the gospel. I think it's an effective way to share the gospel. And basically what they do is they use the Ten Commandments to show people how much of a sinner they are. Because most people you talk to, oh, I'm a pretty good dude. If anybody's going to heaven, I think I'd probably be in the maybe top 10%. And, and this goes through and just obliterates the idea that you're a good person using the Bible. And it's a phenomenal way to, to share truth. But here's the thing. If I'm a good dude, I don't necessarily need a savior. If I'm not so bad of a guy, I don't need Jesus. And what I've found is it's a lot easier to uh, go door-to-door sharing my faith, and you find a lot more receptive people uh, in the rougher neighborhoods because they realize they don't have it all together. 
Oftentimes, you you know, especially when we're in Southern California, you, you uh, go knock on a front door where they got a couple Mercedes parked in the, the driveway and a big, huge boat parked out in front of the house. Generally, you try to tell them, hey, you're missing out on the greatest thing in life. And they say, look at my driveway. I'm not missing out on anything. But when I recognize I don't have it all together, I'm more open to, to receiving truth. When I realize the depths of my own sinfulness, I'm convicted and shown my need for a Savior. But if there's no conviction of sin, there's no need for repentance of sin. Well, this true repentance can be, uh, while it's true that repentance can be expressed by a prayer, it's a heart belief and a mouth confession that saves. Uh, keep your finger here, and, or actually you don't have to keep your finger here, we're not coming back here, but turn to Romans chapter 10 if you would in your Bibles. Romans chapter 10. Some folks, when sharing the Romans road, would go to Romans 10, 13 as the, the final verse that we would go to. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. It's in the Bible, for sure. But we need to understand the context of verse number 13. And the context of verse 13 is verses 9 and 10. And so before I ever take somebody to verse 13, I take them to verse 9 and 10 first, Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And I explain to people, that means that Jesus is master. He's the boss. You're not going to do things the way that you want to do them anymore. Jesus is Lord. And you shall believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 is critical critical circle star underline highlight for the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so sometimes i'll ask somebody uh, do you believe that you're a sinner yes do you believe that jesus christ is the only way to heaven yes do you realize that the path that you're on and your sin is taking you to hell yes are you willing today to turn from your sin and turn to jesus christ by faith yes now, this person has already believed in their heart and they have confessed their faith with their mouth. According to the Bible, is this person saved? This person's already saved. They haven't prayed a prayer yet, though. We've got to lead them in the sinner's prayer. We've got to make sure we get all the words right. No, no, no. This person has believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth. Now, sometimes I'll ask them, well, you need to tell God that right now. You need to, to just let God know that so that they have a, a time in their mind that they can remember that they cried out to God for their sinful condition. And then, after they've cried out to God in faith and repentance, I'll show them verse number 13. Now, according to the Bible, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And according to this, the Bible says that you are saved. So it's definitely true that a prayer can save one if they express true faith and true repentance. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tell us that. And so there's nothing wrong with someone praying a prayer as long as they understand what they're praying. Oftentimes, I'll even tell people, just pray a prayer and tell that to God right now. And they say, well, I don't know how to pray. Prayer's just talking to God. Just talk to God and tell him that right now. And I'm telling you this. I've heard some people pray prayers that you couldn't write in a book if you wanted to because it's just them pouring their guts out to God like they never have before, repenting and crying and, and asking for forgiveness for things that they've done. And then they get to the end and they say, was that good? That was awesome. That was awesome. And there's been people before who say, I really have absolutely no idea what to pray. Can you help me? And I say, okay, 
I'm going to help you, but you have to believe everything you're saying. And it's not about the words that I say. It's about believing these things and confessing them to God. Do you understand that? Yes. Do you understand that it's not the words that I say that's saving you? It's your faith and you're crying out to God for repentance. Do you get that? Yes. Okay, then repeat after me and really mean it. I'll lead them in a prayer. That's like last resort. I generally want people to pray on their own or I'll ask them if they believe those things and are willing to confess it before God today. And so again, when we boil salvation down to just praying a prayer, we have uh, done people a great disservice if not given them false assurance of their salvation. Another major biblical problem with easy believism is that it has a vague gospel-ish message. Really vague. I went to a church one time in Southern California that the pastor said, hey, if you'd like to turn it over to Jesus tonight, raise your hand. What exactly does that entail, turning it over to Jesus? If you're tired of the path that you're on, and are ready for a new way of living, raise your hand. What does that exactly entail precisely? Some of the things that I've heard is that Jesus has a plan for your life. That, and again, I believe that is 100% true, but that's not the essence of the gospel, is God's beautiful plan for your life. Uh, again, it's a gospel-ish message. Jesus has a plan for your life. Uh, another uh, gospel-ish message. Uh, Jesus loves you and wants to be with you. That is true, but that's not the essence of your problem. The fact that you don't have a plan for life or that Jesus really wants really badly to be with you. As if Jesus is sitting up in heaven going, heaven's good, but I really wish Anthony was here. That's not the gospel. Does Jesus desire for everyone to know him, to be saved? Absolutely. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the gospel is not God's great plan because Jesus is lonely. That's a foolish idea of what the gospel is about. Again, terminology matters. Ask Jesus into your heart. What exactly does that mean? Again, it's gospel-ish talk. We never find a single place in the Bible where anybody invites Jesus in. And again, even taking that concept of ask Jesus in your heart and making it more vague by saying, would you let Jesus in tonight? And again, I've heard people use Bible verses to say, he's standing at the door and he's knocking. Will you let him into your heart tonight? Explain to me what that means. Because it's a really vague idea like Jesus is standing outside and all I gotta do is open the door and let him in. Again, ask uh, Jesus into your heart. Next, commit your life to Christ. Again, this sounds really important, and I believe all Christians should commit their life to Christ. This is not the greatest problem of the unsaved man as a lack of commitment. Again, I'm a strong proponent that we need to use Bible words. You hear me every single Sunday say, you must be born again. No man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. John 3, 3. We must be saved. We must be born again. These are Bible words. Again, if you ask any man on the street if there's ever been a time where he's cried out to God, every single person has a time where they cried out to God. I had a man several months ago that came to our church, and he said, uh, hey, I said, has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior? And he says, I had. I said, tell me about that. He said, I was in Iraq, and we were in a helicopter, and there was firefight going down on the ground and bullets are whizzing by our helicopter and uh man i cried out to god and god saved me 
exactly what was your cry to God that day? He said, I'd live, man, and, and I'm here. Well, I'm talking more of a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. He said, well, God saved me that day. Saving your life and saving you spiritually are two different things. And he goes, well, now I'm really confused. Great, let's unconfuse you and sit you down with the Bible. Confound the man wasn't saved at all, but he had cried out to God, and God had spared his life, and he thought that he was saved because of that. Again, we must define terms when we're talking with people. Uh, give control of your life to Jesus. I've heard that before. Uh, again, the church I went to in Southern California, if you want to turn it over to Jesus tonight, raise your hand. And this is a large church, a uh, nationally known church, thousands of people every single Sunday. The pastor said, if you'd like to turn it over to Jesus tonight, raise your hand. And probably 200 people raised their hands. And he says, let's all clap with these folks who have given their life to Christ tonight. And I was just like, what? And I thought, maybe he just, maybe he was talking to Christians and he was just confused about what he was asking people to do. And so he said, if you raised your hand tonight that you want to turn it over to Jesus, see one of our pastoral staff on the way out. We'd like to talk to you about baptism. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my soul. <laughs> it's not my place <laughs> to tell people that they didn't really get saved and they don't need to get baptized yet. But if you just raise your hand in a church service that you want to turn it over to Jesus, my friend, that is not salvation. Now, again, if there was true heart repentance and a true uh, recognition of faith, one could definitely be saved, but just the vague idea of turning it over to Jesus and raising your hand is problematic. I heard one pastor say, if you'd like to partner with Jesus tonight, uh, come down to the front. We don't want, Jesus wants to partner with you. Again, the idea that Jesus is, is uh, uh, sitting around with his hands in his pockets waiting for a partner to come by to help him with what he's doing. Again, our greatest need of the unsaved man is not that Jesus needs a partner. Uh, the greatest need of the unsaved man is not that Jesus is lonely or that they need to, someone to take control of their life. Easy believism neglects to discuss our greatest problem, which is sin. This is the biggest problem that we have. Again, I had the opportunity to, to visit uh, Malaysia several weeks ago. Phenomenal time there. Great people. Great need of the gospel in that, uh, in that country. I had the opportunity to go to a concert on a, a Sunday night at the church there. And as a, a couple uh, of Americans that were there did a phenomenal job with music. And throughout their, between songs, they would kind of tell their story about how he was a wayward teenager and was drinking beer with his friends. Some guy came and shared the gospel with him. He didn't really want to hear it. And uh, later that guy got killed in a car accident. And then uh, he ended up uh, remembering that guy and how he shared the gospel. And he met a girl and, and she was a Christian, but he wasn't. And uh, she wanted him to get saved. And so he got saved. And man, their life's been different. And uh, they got kids and they got grandkids now and he's just so thankful uh, that he turned his life over to Jesus. Great story. Love the guy's testimony. I think he's a, a really legit follower of Jesus uh, and I believe he's the real deal. I believe that'd be all gun a shout of a doubt. But they get to the end of the concert and he says, I want you to find the same Jesus that I did that gave me purpose and meaning to my life. And you know what? Well, let's just all do this tonight. Let's all just repeat after me as I pray here tonight. And I'm sitting in my seat going, please, dear Lord, tell me that this is not happening right now. And it happened. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Just repeat after me. Everybody in the room here tonight. And so you got 300 people that are repeating after him. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And he leads in a, 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 a cookie-cutter uh, sinner's prayer. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And I thought to myself, what was the purpose of that? Because I'm already a Christian. I don't need to to repent of my sins and put faith in Christ. I've already done that. I got saved when I was nine years old. 
What's the point over for maybe the guy next to me that doesn't know Jesus Christ, and this is his first time in a church that he's to pray a prayer, and now he gets to go to heaven? And I thought to myself, never once was the word sin mentioned. Never once was the word forgiveness mentioned. Never was the wrath of God presented. And I'm not saying that every single time you present the gospel, it's got to be hellfire and brimstone. Uh, But I'm saying you need to understand what you're getting into and what you're getting out of salvation. Your friend, there can't be any salvation without sin. If, if, if Jesus is just going to deliver me from a wrong path that I'm on, then Jesus is just a better wayfinder than I am. If Jesus is going to improve my life, then it's, it's Jesus' plan just to make my life and take it to the next level. But no, Jesus has to kill me because my sin must be put to death so that I can be raised to walk in newness of life the way Romans chapter 6 says. You see, the law was given to point us to our need for a Savior. Uh, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, the Bible's given me to show me that I'm wrong. I don't need somebody telling me that I'm wrong. I need the Bible to show me that I'm wrong. And again, the law, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are there to show me the error of my ways to point me to my need for a savior. I just don't need a better path. I don't need a a, a companion. I don't need to just never be lonely again. I need to be delivered from my wretchedness of my sin. And the only thing that can do that is Jesus. You see, the recognition of my depravity and my standing before God will drive me to a savior. That's the whole point of the gospel is to show you you're wrong. The gospel is a confrontational message. I have to tell you that the way you're doing things is wrong so that you can find the right way. And it's not my way, it's God's way. And if I don't understand the depths of my depravity, if I think that my sin is just some bad mistakes I made in high school or wrong crowd of guys that I ran with when I was in college, I've missed the the need for a savior. If I think that Jesus is just gonna help me make more money and advance my career and help me to have a better marriage, I've missed my need for a savior. Jesus is not a bolt-on to a better life. Jesus is life. And the idea that Jesus is just a life enhancer goes against the entire message of the gospel. Because my life without Christ is death. My life with Christ is life. And again, the idea that we can just boil down the gospel to a sinner's prayer and continue on the way that I'm living my life is against the gospel. One of the worst things about easy believism is it gives false hope. Friend, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a person and I say, has there been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ as Savior? I say, ah, I think I prayed a prayer one time when I was in high school. And again, that might be a valid or an invalid profession of faith. I don't know. It's not my place to say. But I'll ask the question, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? If the answer to that is no, I always go through the gospel, even if they've prayed a prayer at some point, because I want them to know what true forgiveness and true salvation looks like. Matthew chapter 23, verse number 15. Jesus says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you can pass the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You know what Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees? You're giving people false hope, and you're not delivering them from anything. You're making them twofold a child of hell. Now, they're still going to hell, but they're going to hell with false assurance. They're going to hell with false hope. They went to a church, didn't really buy what you were selling, but they prayed a prayer at the end, and now they think they're going to heaven. And friend, you've messed people up seriously. I found in, in almost two decades of sharing the gospel with people, it's generally a lot easier to take someone who believes nothing, knows nothing about the Bible and tell them the truth than it is to unwrap and unwind years of bad teaching, bad theology, and false religion. It's actually really encouraging when I, when I start sharing truth with people. And they go, hey, I just want to stop you for a minute. I don't know anything about the Bible at all. Great. Almost like a blank canvas you can, can work with. But when people say, oh, you know, I was always told this, or my church believes this, or my grandma told me this, or I was baptized in XYZ church, so then I'm going to heaven, right? And then we got to unwind all that. And the worst part is somebody says, no, I think I'm saved, you know. I, I prayed a prayer one time. I can't remember what the prayer was or who I prayed it with or what I really even meant. I just remember praying a prayer in church one time. So I think I'm good. Hmm. We must understand the gospel and salvation is more than praying a prayer. We give people false hope. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So it boils all down to this. First of all, we have to take care with sharing the gospel. I'm going to admit to you this, just because I'm honest. There have been times where I have danced around God's wrath and judgment because I didn't want to push people away. I've been guilty before of sharing the gospel in a one-on-one -on -one conversation where I sound like Jesus is just going to make your life better and that's why he exists. I've been guilty of that. But I repented of it and I don't ever want to do it again. Again, I don't think every single time we need to talk hellfire and brimstone. We don't need to talk about wailing and gnashing of teeth. We don't have to talk about eternal wrath and judgment and damnation. But people need to understand God's not soft on sin. He killed his son for it. And if you're not willing to receive the payment, you'll pay yourself. And we have to take great care in sharing the gospel. I had a friend one time who I was with um, out on outreach. Uh, man, this was probably at least 15 years ago. I didn't know a lot at, at that time about sharing my faith. I was just along for the ride with this guy, really kind of listening to him and how he does things. And we were talking with a guy who was just sitting out in his front yard and he was giving us his attention because he didn't really have anything else to do that day. And he was kind of talking, arguing a little bit back and forth about what we believe. He talked about how he didn't really believe in God and, uh, and, and why didn't we find something better to do with our times. So it was just kind of a, I could see this is going nowhere. And, and when you find yourself in situations where the conversation is going nowhere, move on to the next person who wants to know the truth. The Bible says that we should avoid a foolish conversation. And this guy was wrapped up in a foolish conversation with another guy. And I'm sitting here with my hands in my pockets going, this is a waste of our time. I thought I was going to learn something today. I'm learning how not to do things, obviously. And so this guy is talking about how he doesn't believe in God, he doesn't believe in Jesus, and all religions are the same. It doesn't matter what path you take, we're all going to wind up in the same place anyway, so why bother? My friend stopped and he said, hey, can we have a word of prayer? So the guy goes, yeah, you can pray with whoever you want to. It doesn't matter to me, I'm here. Great. And so my friend begins to pray, Lord, help Joe to, to find the truth and find what he's looking for in life and stuff like that. And he said, Joe, would you just repeat after me? And he goes, why? 
Just, just, just say what I say. He goes, okay. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And he looked at him kind of funny. He goes, just say it, just say it. And I, it took my breath away. Please don't tell this guy to pray something that he doesn't mean. And he sure did. Went through the entire sinner's prayer. And I, I just stood there dumbfounded. And I gave the guy a, a track, and I said, hey, come to our church sometime if you get a chance. We're really looking for the truth. And he walked off, and I said, don't ever do that again. Oh, praise God, that guy got saved. <laughs> Nobody got saved. He prayed the prayer on his own. No, he didn't. First of all, praying a prayer doesn't save people. Second of all, he didn't do it on his own. You tricked him into it. What did I trick him into? You told him, just, just say it. And he goes, well, the Lord knows his heart. Absolutely. I know his heart. He told us his heart. Good grief. We have to take care in sharing the gospel. And please, friend, when you come down to it and somebody rejects it, just say, if you've ever got any questions, just please let me know. Because far more people reject than accept. And be content with that. Because you are not the person that will win someone to Christ. The Holy Spirit will win people to Christ. I couldn't force anybody to get saved if I wanted to. But I want them to know the truth and where they can find the truth when they're truly searching for that. We have to take great care in that. We have to share all the gospel. Again, confrontational message. Again, I've heard people errantly say, well, you believe in God, you just call him Allah, and we just have different names for it, same God. Eh, wrong answer. Allah is not God. Not the same. I'm going to have to share all the gospel, which includes the fact that you are wrong. And it's important to understand when we share the gospel, it's not you're right and I'm wrong. It's just that we are wrong and the Bible is right. I'm never right unless I agree with the Bible. That's it. This is not my way versus your way. This is our way versus the Bible's way. Because while I wasn't steeped in false religion before, I was steeped into having my own way and doing things my own way and serving myself the way that I wanted to. And I was wrong and the Bible was right. And we have to share all the gospel because it's a difficult message, but it's necessary. Final thought, we gotta allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Hey, I'm just the messenger. If you don't like the message, don't shoot the messenger. It just is what it is. Well, I believe it's a book full of fairy tales, and you are rightfully entitled to your own opinion. I just wanted to share the truth with you. If you accept it, you reject it, that's on you. I've done my part. I share truth with you. I'm going to continue to pray for you and love you and hope that you find the truth. But at the end of the day, I leave the choice up to you. That's it. I can't force anybody to, to be saved. I can't strong arm anybody into the gospel. Trust me, there's been plenty of people I wanted to, but I can't. It's a decision for you. You accept it or reject it. I just deliver the truth. And let me just tell you, that takes a burden off. <laughs> I was in a church one time where when you got back from outreach, you had to fill out a form. The form was your name, how many invitations you passed out, how many gospel plans you shared, and how many people got saved. And I get it. I'm all for stats. I love stats. I love spreadsheets. I love metrics. I love bar graphs. I love infographics. I mean, I love data. And I love data. But let me just tell you, week after week, when you sign in that you shared the gospel two times and had zero salvations, you do that 10 weeks in a row, you begin to feel like a failure. 
And you see Billy Joe Jim Bob that went out and shared the gospel three times and had six salvations. <laughs> you look at that and you go, I'm just not cut out for this, man. I need to get on Billy Joe Jim Bob's level, you know? But here's the thing. I just got to be faithful with the message. Results aren't up to me. There's times when I went out and tried to share the gospel and people wouldn't hear it. That's not on me. I'm just trying to be faithful with what God's given me. I just got seed, and I'm throwing seed out. I was reading through Matthew as part of my uh, devotions this morning. And it talked about the rocky uh, soil, the thorny soil, and there was a good soil. I'm just looking for good soil. I'm going to throw my seed out. If it's rocky, if it's thorny, that's fine. But I'm going to find eventually some good soil. And as soon as I find that, the Bible says that seed's going to take root and it's going to spring up. But you know what? I don't get to take credit for the soil either. I'm just a seed thrower. So go out this week with some seed. That's it. Maybe it's a coworker. Uh, and let me just tell you this. We had a guy accept Christ as Savior this morning at church. Praise God for that. Who's a coworker of one of our faithful folks in our church. But guess what? The victory wasn't won today. It's not over yet. This dude, the guy say, he needs to be baptized. He needs to be discipled. He needs to get plugged into church. He needs to be in a small group of people that will keep him accountable. We're just getting started with this. But here's the thing. That victory that we saw this morning, it didn't happen this morning. It's been happening for weeks, months. It happened in somebody who's been growing their faith over the last couple of years to get to the point where they could invite somebody to church. Hey, this, is, this, is, this takes time. We all want to share the gospel and somebody gets saved immediately. Who doesn't want that? I want to be able to preach a message like Peter on Pentecost and thousands of people be saved and baptized in the same day. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, great. Wouldn't it be something we were like the book of Acts? People were added to the church daily such as should be saved. That would be awesome, but that's not everyday Christianity. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the mighty moving of God the way it was in the book of Acts. This church will continue to be great if we continue to make it about the true gospel. This church will continue to be great as we, if we continue to keep our focus on Christ. Not numbers, not metrics, not spreadsheets, not infographics or, bi or bar graphs. Focus on Christ. It's my responsibility as the pastor of this church to lift up Christ every single message and make him known to the world every person that sits under the sound of my preaching. And it's your job and my job as members of who we call a Baptist church to take that message outside these four walls to our city, to the people who need it the most. But man, we got work to do. Let's be careful. Again, I think most of us would outright reject the gospel of works, false gospel of works. We gotta earn our way to heaven. All of us would outright reject the prosperity gospel, the idea that Jesus came to make us rich. All of us would outright reject that the church exists solely to help the social ills of our day. But we can be very, very easily sucked into the idea that if I could just get my coworker to pray the prayer, we'd be good. Or if I could just share the gospel but not tell them that their religion's wrong, that it's just kind of a different way to heaven. We can get sucked into that very easily if we're not careful. Hey, just let the message do the work. Let the word do the work. Leave the results up to God be better off for it.